0: So let's tune into Black Cyber, the number one, the number one podcast to jumpstart, sustain, and catapult African-Americans career in a cybersecurity. Black Cyber, securing our place in the industry.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Black Cyber podcast. I'm your host, George McPherson. My guest today is Ron Ford. Ron Ford has over 17 years experience in cybersecurity within the federal government. He has substantial experience in government-wide strategy, policy, governance, and public-private engagement to include co-authoring the National Cyber Incident Response Plan and Presidential Policy Directive 41 on U.S. Cyber Incident Coordination. Ron currently serves as the DHS Regional excuse me, Cybersecurity Advisor in New England with direct interaction to the public sector, private sector, and academia on promoting partnerships and more resilient environment. Ron, thank you for joining the show today. Welcome to the Black Cyber Podcast. Thanks for having me, George. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you can make it. Ron, uh, I want to get this out the way, kind of like an icebreaker. Yeah. Let's talk about you got the Howard shirt on. (laughs) um, Very prestigious HBCU. Um, Can you talk about your experience at Howard and what that's meant for you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I was not the smartest kid uh, at Howard by far. Um, You know, I had a – an incredible experience at Howard. Um, one of my regrets was not graduating uh, from Howard. I spent three years there, yes. um, and it made a significant impact on me. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a D.C. kid, uh, born and raised in D.C., um, so Howard University has been in my life for my entire life. I can remember You know, when I was a small kid, my uh, my sister, who's five years older than me, she would have her dance recitals there every (laughs) six months or so. Oh, my dad would take me across the street, across Georgia Avenue. If people are familiar with with how Howard is laid out, we would go over to the sandwich shop Blimpies uh, when it was open and he (laughs) would get me a sandwich while we waited. Because, you know, when you have a a sibling who has their own different things, you got to get there ahead of time. So we would go, we would go across the street, have a sandwich, go play around. Um, So from the early age uh, I've been around the Howard community and um, you know, back in the late nineties when I was there um, you know, uh, my experience really was really focused on just absorbing as much as I could uh, while I was there. Um, But I took up I majored uh in electrical engineering, uh, which is one of the most difficult majors in undergrad <laughs> that you can navigate through. Um so I spent three years just trying to you know, uh trying to excel in and navigate through that. It was hard. Um, but it, it definitely uh gave me insight into what it meant to really focus On your academics as well as thinking about you know social justice there is so much rich history there um, that once you're just on campus and you're on the yard that you're just consumed in it whether you uh, are aware of it or not so um, you know, when my kids were born, you know, I took them up on the yard and, you know, we ran across the yard and everything. I took them to the building where I used to study and, and look up and say, I used to be, you know, right up there and, you know, in, oh, yeah. in the library and, you know, and um, so it 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 really, it resonates with me still to this day where, you know, I'm thinking about going back to, you know, get a higher level degree from Howard because, you know, just where we currently are within, you know the current atmosphere where there's so much tension and there needs to be a lot of focus on uplifting us that you know i've been reaching back out to uh you know the deans at howard to you know see how i can give back because that's a part of being at an hbcu you know historically black college and university is giving back to a place where you were formulating yourself as a young adult uh so Howard is through my blood, Um, you know, my, and I've done some research. Uh, I've done the whole ancestry.com thing um, where I actually found out that my great grandfather, my grandfather had attended Howard. Uh, I don't know if they graduated, but I I learned that they did attend Howard and I have a great aunt who got her, her Juris Doctorate from there as well. And, you know, my dad, you know, took us to her graduation so Howard University has really been a part of my life from the time I was born to, you know, to, to right now, uh, where, you know, I feel this passion and connection with university, with the institution that I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else. Gotcha.
1: Oh, thank you for that, Ron. Um, that was, that was very powerful. Actually, um, uh, I sent you, sent you the list of interview questions yeah. <laughs> and, and that was at the top of mine. And then I looked yeah. at the list and I was like, that's not on there. <laughs> on there. Yeah. Um, but thank, thank you again yeah. for that. Uh, let's get into the Black Cyber origins, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you? And you've told me kind of, we kind of highlighted on Howard. Yeah. Where are you originally from? Who is Ron Ford outside of your career?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and thank you for asking that. Uh, So, you know, I I was born in D.C., raised in Prince George's County, just outside of D.C. Um, You know, I went to a Catholic school in D.C. for the first nine years of, you know, my, uh, of you know, my academic, you know, side of the house, you know, um, my sister, who's five years older than us, we've had this kind of lineage of us going through Catholic school together, as well as having the same group of friends, you know, through that time. So from kindergarten through eighth grade, we pretty much had the same 20 some odd kids in the same class. So uh, there were a lot of dances, a lot of uh, sleepovers happening at that you know, at that point in my life. And it was, it was a phenomenal time. Um, On the other side of that was, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, my personal uh, family, um, you know, the first 10 of my, 10 years of my life were, uh, were uh, encompassed with a lot of heartache uh, where, you know, for, from the age of about four or five from about 10, you know, my dad suffered through uh, brain cancer. So he went through radiation and chemo treatments and, you know, the first, you know, uh, formulating, you know, years of my life were spent, you know, in the hospital, seeing him, going to visit him. And so my mom had a lot to deal with uh, at that point while still raising, you know, two kids. Oh, yeah. So, you know, just seeing all of that happen as well as, you know, we, she still tried to maintain some level of normalcy for us. So, you know, I was involved in basketball and track and, you know, same for my sister. Um, So, you know, I was always that observational kid just because of what I went through, you know, early on in life. So, um, you know, once I got a bit older and just became a little bit more aware of the world around me. Um, you know, I, I started to blossom, but a lot of my, a lot of my character was really formed at an early age. And a lot of my humility was really, really developed at an early age where I saw human humility, humility, you know, from my mom, you know, she did her best to ensure that we were loved, protected, you know, cared for and, and nurtured. And, you know, we were very fortunate also to have, you know, family around us, you know, in the DC area and, and in Virginia as well. So, you know, we were surrounded by love from all different aspects, you know, and as, and also from, you know, the students, you know, my, my student, you know, my, my uh, you know, my, my classmates as well, and their parents, they were an integral part of raising us as well. So when people say it takes a village, it absolutely does take a village. Um, We couldn't have, succeeded and progressed without the community around us wow yeah <clears throat> so but yeah that that was you know really the 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 early formative formative uh years um you know and you know i think with all or you know with with you know black families and you know african-american families around the dc area um you know we all have our different roads that we're taking to 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 navigate life. You know, I was fortunate that, you know, my family, you know, we had two full-time working parents. We had a single family home. We had two cars. We had two dogs. We were essentially living the American dream, you know, in their late seventies and their early eighties. So, which, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, it, that was a phenomenal time to be alive, especially, you know, if you're looking at music, if you're looking at culture, um, you know, where rap was, you know, coming up and, you know, being a DC kid, you know, I I love my go-go music. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, it's just in me. Um, It's just in me. So, um, you know, my, my personal life was really, really formulated and, and, you know, uh, really was foundational in, you know, building around humility and understanding both the goods and bads and in betweens, you know, uh, growing up, um, you know, I was always that introvert kid who, you know, just wanted to get through, um, you know, class. I was never the, the troublemaker. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I was, I was always a kid who was nice and, you know, I never started trouble. Um, I think I learned a lot about that through my mom and dad, where they treated people fairly and equally, whether they were, you know, African-American or white or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, my my dad was the focal point of our family, you know, and everything revolved around him, both socially. So, you know, growing up and seeing things through his eyes and my mom's eyes was an incredible experience. So, um, you know, kind of leading up into high school and, you know, kind of making the transition from private school into public school. That was another, uh, you know, substantial transition for me as well. So being a teenager, (laughs) you know, going, (laughs) going through the motions of that, um, going to a high school where I didn't know probably 90% of the kids, you know, there, um, and then on to college where I actually spent my my freshman year. I spent my freshman year at Virginia Union University down in Richmond uh, just to get away from D.C. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. So, you know, I you know spent, you know, the majority of my senior year, you know, getting my grades up, uh, you know, sending out the college essays and applications <laughs> and, you know, just seeing what would stick. Um, and my mom said, you're going to college, and we're going to get you into VUU, and um, I spent my first year down there. Uh, fortunately, I had a couple of, of friends that I grew up with, uh, unbeknownst to me, down there as well, so we we actually uh, got a chance to reconnect, um, and after that first year, I felt that I was still missing something, um, so that's when I, I talked to my mom and said that you know, I'm I'm just not really feeling it down here at VUU. I was at that point uh, double majoring in uh, computer science and math, and when I talked about going to Howard with my mom, she said, "You know, all right, let's let's bring you back up to DC. Um, you know, let's talk to you know the folks in the engineering um, in, in the engineering department." And that's when I started, you know, taking classes and getting reoriented. Um, within you know uh, within the Howard University community, um, if I had the you know the the foresight you know that I had now and looking back on everything, um, I probably would have went into the School of Business because that's where their COBIT program is, their computer oriented uh, business inf- information uh, systems program is, which yes. you know is really kind of where my lane is. Now, 20 years later, Um, but I was so intrigued with engineering that, you know, I didn't know what really to expect going through that program where I was taking uh, advanced uh, digital systems and creating motherboards and doing all these different projects and, you know, soldering, you know, your your motherboards down and, and creating logic gates and drawing out diagrams, you know, by hand. So it was all encompassing all day, and looking back on it, I don't think I was just really mentally ready for it. You know, I was in this environment where I saw a lot of people like me, you know, going through this program, trying to figure out like how are they, how are they doing all this, and (laughs) you know, and a part of part of my challenge was that. I didn't stay on campus, so I didn't get the full campus life. I didn't stay in the dorms, so I was a commuter student, you know, so I didn't get the, the complete experience where after the classes were over, you would go hang out with your friends, you would go eat, you know, go play ball, um, you know, just hang out, so I think that was a major part of what I was missing back then that I didn't really know about, you know, right. So, but, um, you know, looking back on it, you know, I just going through the trials and tribulations, you know, of college, um, I probably would have done things a bit differently, but I can still, I don't have any regrets about my time at Howard. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, great, great story, uh,
1: Ron. And, um, I know you probably analyze it and think about it, but I, I think it was, I think it happened the way it was meant to happen. Right, right. I think exactly. you're, you're here to help some people and uh, be in this lane.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm sure I, you got other aspirations,
1: you know, later on in your career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that was the one thing about me reconnecting with Howard University was even though I didn't graduate, I still felt I had this connection there. Um, and the fact that, a lot of my connections early on were through my family. So, you know, that was something that I really was missing kind of later on in life and thinking about, well, what if I had gone back or what if I had, you know, uh, transferred to another major um, just to continue on? You know, those are are things... All the what-ifs. Yeah, Yeah. all the what-ifs started (laughs) to pop up. So, but, you know, just having the... The courage and the motivation now to reconnect, I think, you know, speaks highly of the university and the people that come from there. I mean, if you think about from the early days when Howard was created, you know, all the rich history of the social rights, you know, uh, the the social equality and, and civil rights movement that has either come from Howard or there have people who have come from Howard, whether it's Kwame Touré or Thurgood Marshall um, or, uh, you know, the list can go on, whether it's celebrities or it's people in, 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 you know, in government, you know, in in politics, there's such a rich rich history there that, you know, you have this expectation of yourself, you know, when you're there that you have to live up to. And that's a part of uh, me reconnecting there is that, I have an expectation of myself to continue to excel and to you know connect back with the university but also open up you know the path for for students you know whether it's through my job you know at DHS to make that connection with the university and their program so that we can create this pipeline for those students that might not be there or or hasn't been fully developed, I want to be a part of that. So that, that was a, also a part of kind of this, this, uh, this recollection, you know, 20 years later where, you know, it made such an impact on my life, but what have I given back to the university, to the students, to the people who look like me who might have an interest in information technology and cybersecurity, and they might not know or understand what the path, what look like for them. Gotcha.
1: Good point. Uh, let's get into the next question. Can you describe a day in the life of a regional cybersecurity advisor working <laughs> uh, for CISA?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, with my reason. And, recent- for, and yeah. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, oh, yeah, no
1: problem. For those that don't know, can you describe what CISA is?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So underneath uh, the Department of Homeland Security, there is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure, Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, also known as uh, CISA. Uh, CISA has officially been around since November of 2018, uh, but we were underneath the headquarters uh, umbrella uh, since about 2003-2004 uh, under a mostly unknown name, um, but uh, Congress uh, actually designated CISA as, its, uh, as our own operational component. So if you think about Secret Service, think about ICE and FEMA, we are now on the same playing level as them. So we have our exactly. own operational capabilities now. So within that, um, I serve as the cybersecurity advisor here within New England. Um, mainly focusing on cybersecurity engagement. And what that really, really means is that my job really focuses on uh, promoting resilience, promoting operational maturity, uh, helping uh, organizations, both public and private, uh, understand what are some of the risks that they might face given some type of cyber incident, whether it's an intentional uh, incident or an attack that comes from a nation state or someone who has a script kitty or whether it's an unintentional uh, incident where there's a misconfiguration or there's some decay and you know, operational uh, operational capability where you, know, you said and forget it and you forget, oh, I forgot that this port was open and we unintentionally left that open for a certain amount of time. Part a major part of what I do is I try to help to unearth those conversations about, hey, do you have asset management you know, capabilities in place? Have you talked about business continuity as it relates to technology so that if and when there is some type of disruption, do you have the capabilities in place to mitigate and reduce the likelihood that it would greatly impact a business or, or an organization. So the majority of my time was usually spent on doing that pre-COVID where I would drive around New England um, and talk to small, medium-sized and and, and and large businesses and organizations um, about what that really meant to them and take that back to CISA so that we can, A, help to paint a landscape of the country in terms of cyber readiness, as well as help to refine some of the resources and services that CISA uh, has to offer. And I'm, I'll do a small plug for, for CISA, uh, but essentially all the resources and materials that we offer are free. They are voluntarily uh, they're voluntary. Uh, there is no regulatory obligation within CISA besides, I believe, chemical hazards, which obviously needs to have yeah. regulatory compliance and you know and, and requirements around that. But our program within CISA, uh, within the cybersecurity division, it's all built on this public-private partnership. That's all voluntary. Um, obviously, there are some incentives to partnering and, and collaborating together, but it's all based upon. The interactions and the engagements. So, you know, I am an introvert by nature, but my job and my role requires me to be that extrovert, to be proactive, um, to, to reach out to different organizations. So to kind of circle back, you know, back to Howard, this is a part of my job where, you know, I'm connecting with people, um, whether it's, you know, the Fortune 100 companies or it's the it's the, you know, the colleges and universities. My job really does span a wide range of engagements and interactions.
1: Gotcha, okay. Um, What do you enjoy about working on the strategy framework driven side of security as opposed to the uh, technical side?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think early on, you know in my career back in the early 2000s when i was working uh with the defense information systems agency i started out as a lab rat um you know i was gotcha. down in the in the in the labs um you know with a parka on <laughs> you know typing away on <laughs> um on banging on keyboards and i spent you know about 6 years doing that and you know, a part of my uh, career back then, so the DOD had an intern development program where, you know, when you entered into the program, it was a three-year program where you would essentially go through, go through this instruction and curriculum that was predefined for you so in order for you to progress through your career rapidly and i think part of the the goal was that they understood that they had an aging workforce so they needed to uh uh, to bring in younger talent but also help to develop them uh through that through that time as well so you know part of me being that lab rat network engineer was also me taking courses um you know predefined by the dod to excel me into um, into more of a, a leadership role, so by the time I matured through the program and graduated through it, um, I went overseas to Bahrain for a few months. You know, sat in their security operations center uh, at the naval support activity out there in uh, Manama. Uh, came back and you know had some thoughts about what does my future look like, and so you know I saw that you know again you know, working within the DOD framework, you know, and, and, you know, through your military career too, I'm sure that you can, you know, you can talk about that as well, about there's a process for everything. You oh, know, yeah. there's a process yeah. for literally everything, <laughs> whether it's travel, whether it's, yeah. you know, going to school, whether it's, you know, getting a mop, there's a process for everything. Um, so I was very, very appreciative of that. And I wanted to continue to, to, to progress. Uh, And so, also during my time at the DOD, I started my master's degree as well at University of Maryland, uh, their global campus. So, yeah, about 2004, um, I just finished up in 2003 with my undergrad degree. I took about six months off, and then I figured I need to go back to school because – there was just something missing, and so um, in my life, you know, at that point, so I went ahead and enrolled, um, you know, in my master's program, which was in information assurance back then. Um, finished that up in 2007, and uh, around that time, um, you know, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and lo and behold, uh, DHS and their national cybersecurity division. Um, had a job opening um, for supply chain and risk management, and I was doing a bit of that within my 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 previous role within the DoD where I was doing third party uh, vendor validation of uh, different uh, uh, different techno uh, different solutions, so I was doing the validating as well as kind of looking at approved product list. So definitely supply chain was definitely kind of in my realm. So I went ahead and, uh, you know, applied and and got interviewed and, and started in 2008, um, you know, with the Department of Homeland Security. And, you know, I got there and obviously DHS at that point was the newest department within the federal Mm -hmm. government. Uh, So there was a lot of organized chaos is what I would call it, where you know, everything was n- not necessarily foundational. Now we were still kind of figuring things out. So I think at that point we were about a hundred feds at that point, and you know, probably double that in contractors. We were a completely flat organization within DHS. Uh, so that also gave a lot of opportunity for growth. Oh yeah. So uh, at that point, you know, you could essentially take a major project. Um, that you were assigned and and grow it. You know, you were, you know, the action officer for that. So that's what I essentially did with the supply chain risk management program. And I had, you know, I I could not have done this alone. I had some great mentors along the way to help encourage me and to keep me focused. So it just wasn't me, you know, doing the superhero thing and (laughs) forging forward. Uh, I couldn't have done it without mentors as well. Um, so, you know, going through that, um, I actually, uh, for about three years, I was there uh, for my first 10 at DHS. And looking back on it, you know, it was a great opportunity, obviously. Um, again, looking back on things, you kind of look back and say, I could have, you know, did some things a bit differently. Um, but for the most part, it was a great experience. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, kind of leading up into, you know, my current role, you know, from about 2014 to about now where I really got embedded in our assistant secretary's office. So essentially I was one of his support staff in, in and, you know, and strategic advisors, uh, along with probably about 10 to 15 other people. And so we were focusing on major national level projects and engaging a lot with our interagency partners. So, you know, Department of Commerce, Treasury, um, DOD, uh, National Security Council staff, those were the level of people that, that we were interacting with on a daily basis. So, my, my visits to the White House started out as really, you know, fanboying out, you know, going to the executive <laughs> office, going to the West Wing, um, but after probably about six months of that and sitting through five-hour meetings, that really wore off, <laughs> so. But it was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity because going from, you know, from college and not knowing what I wanted to do to just taking advantage of every single opportunity that was in front of me, I I couldn't have asked for anything better so you know by me being in the in the right place at the right time um, and creating the creating the opportunities as well um, really really helped me kind of focus and kind of recollect on you know I went from you know essentially you know I have a university almost flunking out, you know, I was not a, uh, a good student, you know, back in my yeah. you know, late teens, early twenties, I didn't have the structure in place to navigate through school at that point. You know, I was, you know, just trying to find myself, you know, as a young adult, but also trying to navigate through calculus three, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, advanced yeah. calculus, you know, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, by the time, you know, 2014, 2015, you know, came around and I was looking around at myself and, and seeing that, A, you know, in these meetings, I was usually either one or two of the people of color in those meetings, and B, I was in those meetings, You know, so it's like I'm here for a reason. Like people see something in me that they see a value and they want me here. So I have to take advantage of this opportunity. So and that comes uh, and with that comes, you know, the courage and the strength to understand that you're just not here to take up a seat. You're here because they want your input. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, kind of getting over that mental, that mental obstacle was hard. You know, you know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. We talk a lot about, you know, am I here just because they want to bring some level of diversity of thought? You know, here, or just diversity period, yeah, um, so I had to really think about that, and it was hard, you know, um you know, we talk about mental health, you know i I saw a therapist for a long time, you know, just because I just didn't feel that I was worthy worthy of being there, even though I was there, you know um a part of my, a part of my obstacle was thinking you know i i I just didn't feel the, my internal value was equal to what they saw. And so, you know, I know it's kind of a long winded, winded answer, but in terms of kind of going, getting over that obstacle and and contributing to, you know, uh, PPD 41 and the national cyber incident response plan, those were uh, substantial efforts that helped to get me over that obstacle where, all right, now, People are listening to me, they're taking my input for value. I'm helping to contribute to further this cause. And now I'm starting to see a bit more people who look like me um, in these meetings because, you know, within the National Security Council and, you know, the interagency and within technology, period, you know, we don't have a lot of representation. You know, we are underrepresented. And we can talk about kind of the historical, you know, uh, background of why we are underrepresented. Um, but you know, to see more people of color, to see more women um, in those meetings, was I, I think comforting because that meant that we had made some progress um, around the discussion of security and incorporating a lot of uh, oh, or more diverse thought into those conversations that was also extremely helpful. So, you know, back in, you know, 2015, 2016, when, you know, I would come home from work and, you know, talk to my wife about my days and tell her, you know, I went to, you know, the executive office today (laughs) and, you know, I, you know, I, I got my badge and everything. And, you know, it was, it was an incredible time because I felt the value was starting to to shift and and starting to resonate more where people from DHS, you know, from CISA were seeing the value that I could add as well as those, you know, interagency partners also seeing the value that I could add, you know, as a, as a African-American man um, who probably doesn't fit certain stereotypes, you know, uh, or preconceived notions that people have about what you know people of color can add to to conversations so i know we talked; you wanted to talk about frameworks <laughs> um but kind of the long the long of the short is that the frameworks were the product but it was the journey that got me there that helped me to understand the value as a person as a professional and knowing the foundation of building out these uh, these historic documents, it was really about the journey itself,
1: you know. Yeah. Speaking of uh, bringing value, can you describe a moment or project in your career that you are proud of and why?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, based on PBD 41 and looking at the National Cyber Incident Response Plan and understanding that we had a tight deadline of uh 180 days out from the publish uh publishing of uh PPD41 which was I believe July of 2016 and we had a deadline of I believe January of 20, 2017 to produce the national cyber incident response plan so that meant that we had to hit the ground running <laughs> and so Uh, My supervisor handed it off to me to, you know, get these meetings together with our interagency partners, um, have weekly writing sessions with them, also incorporating uh, private sector engagement uh, and, and, and feedback as well. So that meant that I lived and breathed this entire document on a daily basis. Um, I worked on weekends, uh, I, I really encompassed myself in this entire effort. And I, again, I could not have done it without a team. It just wasn't me. I had, you know, two interns, two presidential management fellows, you know, who came along with me for the ride, who I helped to, you know, help to mentor, but also I, I, I leaned on them too, you know, uh, they're there for a reason. I needed them to step up to the plate, too, to help get this over the goal. So, um, you know, a lot of long nights. I remember, I think it was maybe October or November of 2016, where we put a draft out for public comment, and we received over a thousand comments that we had to adjudicate. So. you know it was a thirty day public comment period, and we had to turn it around and incorporate as many valued comments and worthwhile comments and input back into the into the uh, into the plan so and that was probably the most uh worthwhile accomplishment that I've had so far within my career is being a part of this uh this effort where it's not just shelfware um you know CISA uses the National Cyber Incident Response Plan. I know for a a fact that some of the states that I work with here in New England are using the National Cyber Incident Response Plan as a foundation to build out their own incident response frameworks. So for me going from DC and headquarters now here up to New England and seeing that, oh, they're they're actually state governments and, and other organizations that are actually using this document that I mean that's full circle it's being used you know so that was probably the the biggest accomplishment in my career that really demonstrated the value of my work
1: thank you Ron that's a that's a great story and and I know it's a blessing and accomplishment to even impact it on that level I mean top down to the country maybe even the world, if, if other countries want to adopt it. So yeah, um, I'm excited to talk to you about the academia side of your career. Yes. Um, what pulled you toward working as a professor in information security?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, back in, oh gosh, uh, 2002, when I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do in undergrad, and <laughs> you know, I moved on from Howard at that point, and you know, I'd spent three years there just – just in turmoil to a certain degree, because I I just wasn't grasping the subject matter. Um, I I was reaching out to my advisors and trying to figure out like what I wanted to do. And I just being a young adult, being a young adult at that point and not being able to really focus, you know, I think was a a big hindrance for me. Um, You know, again, looking back on it 20 years later, you know, (laughs) I probably would have, you know, Trans, you know, transitioned over to another major within the School of Business that, you know, I referred to earlier about, you know, the, their COVID program, the IT program, because that more aligned with, I think, what I wanted to do, um, you know, in my career. You know, when I, I moved on from, you know, Howard to Stray University, where I got my undergrad degree in computer networking, that seemed to fit. You know, I was building up networks again. Um, I was, you know, really entrenched in uh, network administration at that point. And when I graduated, I figured, you know, this is something that I could really probably focus on. And by 2002, when I was still, um, you know, moving on from Howard, but, you know, I was now at Strayer University, I had actually gotten my position At DISA, at at the Defense Information Systems Agency, so they had this student program where you could come in, you know, work as many hours as you wanted, and get the -the on-the-job experience. So, you know, those first few months, (laughs) I was just sitting there looking at people you know, doing the testing, you know, doing the product evaluations, looking at a huge wall of, of <laughs> CRT screens. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, and, 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 yeah. And sunboxes boxes and, and, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Apache boxes. And we're doing cross, you know, cross platform packet validation, you know, across these different, uh, different platforms. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, like, where am I? you know <laughs> but you know at that point, I had started to really kind of organize my thoughts about what I wanted to do in my in my in my career at that point, you know, I had met really great people um who were also going through the student program as me, so there was also diversity in that program as well, which was incredible at that point for me because at that point you know i All my friends were either, you know, African-American or people of color. But, um, you know, there was within this program that the DOD had, they had all sorts of students coming in, you know, and they actually became my, my co-workers and my friends throughout my career at DISA and into DHS. So that network also helped to support me as well and vice versa. So, again if people think that they can just go at this alone, they they are underestimating the power of a community to help them go through this. So if you're in a class right now and you're trying to figure stuff out on your own, that's great. Just understand that there's a network of people there who you can tap into that will help you understand certain things and, and help you to get to where you need to be as well. So back then, you know, it was... A combination of me figuring out that, you know, computer networking and information technology was a great path for me. Um, You know, I tinkered around, you know, in high school and, you know, as as a younger kid. Taking apart stuff, you know. I think as oh, all yeah. kids typically yep. do, you take yep. apart the radio and then you try to put the, put it back together, and it doesn't work quite right. Never get it back. <laughs> and then someone might, you know, might say something about it. Uh, you might get in trouble. <laughs> um, but you know, I I really kind of started to find my focus around two thousand two two thousand three, and knowing that I had this structure in place for me, um, you know, within the DOD helped to provide some some stability and comfort to me, um, you know, and, and gave me the opportunity to sit back and think, well, what do I kind of see my, my path within cybersecurity as? Because at that point, when I got hired into, uh, into DISA, I got hired into their information and, and assurance group, you know, and they were doing what we call now is, is you know, evaluation and, and testing, you know, in terms of data protection and integrity. So, you know, I got hired into the right office at that point, And that was our focus. That was my focus at that point. So I was really fortunate to a, have the drive, have the motivation, um, be in the right office, be in the right program, meet some great people, that could also help to open up some doors for me so you know through that three-year program you know once i graduated um from strayer and i got transitioned into this intern development program which was paid by the way the dod (laughs) paid for that program they paid for me yeah so the intern program was was paid for Um, once i got into that program they set forth this framework that you had to follow you know whether it was interpersonal skills or you know data architecture, network architecture classes. They had this whole curriculum set for you that you needed to complete. You know on an annual basis, and you know within the three years, you had to finish. Uh, so there, there, there was no gray area. <laughs> um, so that really, that really helped to motivate me to actually um, clamp down and focus on a. The curriculum that I in the training, the professional development that I had to take, as well as at that point in 2004, I had started my master's program. So, on top of working, you know, the 40 hours, yep. I was also going to, to school at night, you know, for two and a half, three hours, you know, twice a week, you know. So, you know, fortunately, I, you know, <laughs> if I try to do that now where you know, I'm married, I got kids, yeah. you know, it it's just a whole different ballgame. But at that point early on early on in my career, I had the room and the space to do that. Um so I took advantage of it. Um, you know, I, I I told myself that, you know, in order for me to in order for me to progress through my career, I needed to have certain things in place. And You know, one of those things I think that I I, I think we're going to get into this as well is what educational criteria do we need to navigate through our careers? Whether it is, you know, formal training in an academic institution or whether it's, you know, getting the certifications, which I've gotten, you know, which I've earned later on you know, in my career, I think it's, you know, it's a combination of those things where you, you either, you know, you gain the experience, you know, through your job or through your service. um, And you, it helps, I think it helps to solidify that experience with the certifications and with, you know, the formal education. Now there is, you know, there is no straight and narrow path, you know, Everyone has their own different path. Um, I I was just fortunate that at that point that I was in these programs, that I was taking advantage of these different situations. I was making and creating these people networks. You know, that's the other part of this is creating the the, the social networks so that, you know, you're not in this alone. You might think that you're in this alone, (laughs) but you're really not. So, um, but yeah, I think that was the major thing about, you know, going through my academic career, understanding, you know, from a social standpoint, what I needed to do, and then figuring out, you know, what is the strategy, what are the strategies that I can use in my, in my master's program that will help me get through, you know, these classes Um, You know, so in terms of, you know, going to the academic writing centers, um, going and talking to your advisor, being proactive, you know, about those things, those are things that I didn't necessarily have back in undergrad that I was, you know, keenly aware of, you know, that I really needed to leverage. So, again, I wasn't the, the smartest or the brightest, but... At that point, when I was going through graduate school, I knew that this was serious. You know, it was it was expensive. Uh, <laughs> I needed to do my best. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I couldn't play around. Um, you know, where you know in, in undergrad, you know, uh, you know you're still trying to figure out yourself. You're still trying to figure out what you want to do in this world. Uh, to a certain degree, some people some people have that charisma. They have that awareness earlier on in life. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. You know, people mature and develop at different times in their lives. And I was fortunate that I didn't miss that time kind of into my early to mid twenties where I figured out what I wanted to do. And then, I set forth on that and I, you know, was determined to make sure that I graduated, make, you know, make sure that, you know, I could continue to progress through my federal career. So, um, you know, again, you know, not everyone matured at the same time and has the awareness of that. And, you know, hopefully, you know, people who look like me who are interested in technology, you know, they're getting these resources at a much earlier age than I think you and I had them. Um, the awareness of coding, was something that I wasn't keenly aware of until probably my junior year of high school. So that's like ninety ninety five, ninety six, 95, 96. Um, and I, it wasn't a big thing for me cause we, we had our own vocational and tech, you know, technical, uh, uh, you know, side of the high school, but it wasn't my thing. So I, I, I knew it was there, but I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm yeah. going to take some art. I'm going to take <laughs> some art classes. So, um, but, you know, having the awareness, I think is, is really key to understanding what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do with your career, whether it's make your own path or follow someone else's path that you've seen succeed as well. Oh yeah. Good advice.
1: Um, what advice would you give cybersecurity professionals, especially black cybersecurity professionals or those interested in joining the industry?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I, I wish I had just one answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for for professionals who are, you know, who are young or mid career um, you know, or or students who are interested in cybersecurity and information technology, you know, there are so many resources at, at our fingertips. Now, you know, I still consider myself young, you know um, uh, you know, I think I'm in the second phase of my career um, right now where um, I'm motivated. I'm energized. um, Just like I probably should have been in undergrad. Uh, You know, I, I think it's, and I, I, I try to, I try not to be as abstract. I, I try to be as direct as possible nowadays where I'm trying to highlight different opportunities, you know, different forums and different groups and different programs. So at the collegiate level, you know, if you're interested in, in cybersecurity, there are a lot more undergraduate programs that are starting to pop up. You know, if you are, you know, you don't have to go to a division one school to get into the, best, to the, into the best programs. You know, you can go to a Division two, II, Division three, or even community college. Start yeah. out somewhere. You know, I'm, I'm on a board at Cambridge College here in Massachusetts, and they just started their undergraduate cybersecurity program here. Um, this is their first semester, and essentially, we're starting from ground zero. Cambridge College focuses on An underserved community um, where, you know, there are a lot of, you know, people of color who are, you know, are starting out, you know, in the academic arena and they're trying to provide resources around them that will support them so that they don't feel the pressure as, you know, as much as we probably did to navigate through these classes it's hard enough to go through financial aid to go through registration to get your books you know now they're online and electronic but you know essentially I had to do that on my own when I was younger you know I had to sit through all those different lines and go through financial aid and it can be completely overwhelming so I think I think right now you know with as many resources as we have I would encourage young cybersecurity professionals to seek out different programs, whether it's, you know, you know the the professional programs that we have now, you know, in terms of the Blacks in Security, or I think it's the International Consortium for uh, Minority, minority Cybersecurity yeah. uh, Professionals. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of different social groups online today that focus on that as well. Um, Whether you are in the LGBTQ community, there's also a community within that for cybersecurity professionals, you know, so you have to be active, you have to seek out these different programs. A lot of it also depends on if you see people who look like you and, you know, out in the professional world. Um, you know I was just uh, I just did um, our diversity day at sisa we um, We had a diversity day uh, this past week where we talked about that you know if you don 't see people who look like you in those positions, then how would you expect and know that you could also attain that certain level of success in your career exactly so if you look at you know, and I I take the example of of Corey Thomas at Rapid Seven. He's the CEO of you know a cybersecurity software company here in the Boston area. You know, he's the CEO. He is running the entire company. Um, you know, I could probably count on maybe less than two hands the amount of executive leadership who are not um, who are not white. You know, who yeah. are not white and male. You know, and and it's, and that kind of goes back to the structures, you know, in place, you know, the, the programs that are available to people, you know, if there aren't programs, academic programs and educational programs that aren't available and uh, that people of color, and I, and I, I try not to use people of color too much. I try to talk about underserved and underrepresented communities that are not in the traditional realm of accessibility. You know, if we think about it that way, then that encompasses a whole bunch of different people that look like us, uh, but also who are, you know, either economically stymied, uh, they're low income, and they're underrepresented and underserved. So when we talk about it in that frame, I try to focus on how can I continue to elevate you know my platform, um, as well as use you know the the social platforms on LinkedIn and and Twitter and and what have you, to continue to show that there are people who can who can look like us who are excelling in cybersecurity. So when there's a chance for me to speak, I'd never say no. Uh,
1: <laughs> you know
0: it 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 helps for younger generations to see people who look like them so that they can, they can picture themselves in those positions. Absolutely.
1: Um, I had a, I think early in my career, I think I started in uh, telecommunications and it wasn't as rare as cybersecurity, but you still, still had less of us in the room. Right. And I remember early on, cause I, I keep hearing you go through that and the passion behind it. I remember early on, I don't know if I was naive, Mm-hmm. but I'd be like the only black guy in the room or one of two or, or two in a, in a room. And at first I, I remember thinking um, I'm a pioneer or which, which I was if yep. you the way you think about it. But then yep. it was like, it felt like um, I'm doing something. I know that I'm doing something important because I'm the only person here. But I'm. I went on for years just thinking that that I'm the only person. And then it was like, wait a minute, oh no, this this is way bigger than that. Yeah. Why you're the only person? Can we? Yeah. It's like I had to reach within myself. Like, no, you need to start changing those numbers. Right. Um, right. But you think? But you saying that 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 passion behind always thinking because I was naive. I, I don't know why I was. But yeah. I was naive at first. I just felt like uh, accomplishment, but it was like, wait, this just not about you. It's right. about
0: giving back and, and bringing more into the industry. Right. Yeah. And, and that was a part of, you know, my, the latter part of my career is why am I the only person from an underrepresented underserved community in this meeting right now, or I'm the one of the two people. Why is that? Totally. And I mean, we can talk about the, the centuries-long structure that have been in place that have uh, disadvantaged us. You know, Why are HBCUs in existence? Well, yeah. you know, for, people, for people who don't know, <laughs> uh, historically black colleges and universities were created because uh, uh, predominantly white colleges did not accept uh, people of color in them. Yeah, Hard man. stop. Their
1: work has been well documented. Right. The benefits it is, of it has been. Yes. Well yes. documented.
0: So um, HBCUs was not a choice. Yeah, um, yeah. it yeah. was not a choice. It was a need that uh, that needed to serve a community that was uh, that was ripe and energized to educate themselves um, to excel. Oh yes. So, you know, I always go back to the question of why you know, why are these things in place? Why are we continuing to struggle with these centuries old and decades old obstacles in place of accessibility and availability of educational resources, whether it's economic, you know, and teaching economic literacy to, you know, our communities, um, whether it's putting, you know, you know sufficiently funding programs where we can help students thrive and excel um you know why is it why is it more uh you know uh, more focused on schools and organizations that don't necessarily look like us or you know if we if we talk about gentrification um you know why is it that funding comes in when people who don't look like us come into our neighborhoods and they get on to, you know, the, the parent teacher organizations and they come in, you know, like a bull and they want to build new, new, new academic programs because now their kids are there, you know, it's not, it's not altruistic, Um, you know? So I look at that and think about, well, you know, if we're underrepresented in government and local politics, you know, why is that? You know, why is it that we can't get people who look like us on local elections, um, you know, on boards and, you know, at the state level so that we can continue to, to, to be proactive so that we can make sure that, and, it, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, you know, make sure that all, all ships rise, you know, all boats rise, you know, with the tide. You know, it, when people start to think about those disadvantaged communities, you know, and how they have suffered for decades, you know, whether it's through redlining, uh, you know, housing redlining, um, whether it's through, uh, you know, taxes and not being sufficiently uh, accounted for. Um, If you think about all these obstacles that have been put in place or have been refocused, to you know to a to a different demographic you know why is that you know that puts that that puts us at at, as us at a disadvantage and you know it really it really needs to to stop because if we are pitting one community against another no one wins no one wins so you know i i love to see that there's you know the women in cybersecurity forum happening um i love to see that there's the whole share the uh the mic and cyber effort that's going on i love to see these coding oh, events oh yeah i saw that that was yeah cool. yeah I, I love to see these coding events you know at the you know at the middle school level you know within or you know within cities major metropolitan cities because that helps to introduce the younger populations and generations to technology. You know, we talk about this workforce gap. Well, the people are there. We we just have to provide them with the access, the access to the material. You know, in order for us to do that, how do we do that? Well, we have to get them at an early age. We have to get them at the kindergarten level. We have to create this pipeline you know uh that will help to feed them into these technological uh programs you know in high school and in college and partner with industry so that once they get to college they can start to do these internships and programs so that when they're ready to come out they already have experience oh, yeah. you know you know it's a, it's it's what it's what major colleges and universities do already why can't we do that <laughs> at at the local level, you know, with, with these smaller institutions as well.
1: So speaking of having experience to those companies that want to recruit more women and minority professionals, what are some creative ways they can go about their recruitment? Uh,
0: I think one way is to actually uh, hold career events at probably non-division one level schools, you know, um, you know, the, the major corporations, if they're really honest with themselves about diversity and inclusion, then they need to go to historically black colleges and universities and partner with them. They need to go to, um, you know, these division two II and three schools and actually hold career events so that they can open up these opportunities to people who wouldn't necessarily have them. Um, you know, you know, on any given division one and I, I'm not bad mouthing division one schools because they're, they're robust. They have a lot of the resources to do these things. However, if you look at these smaller colleges and universities that are trying to get a a foothold into these different industries so that they can create their own pathline, uh, we need that reciprocating, um, that, recipro- uh, that reciprocity with the industry. So that if they're really serious about bringing on more people who look like you and me, then they need to go to Howard University. They need to go to Hampton University. They need to go to Alcorn State. They need to go to FAMU. They need to actually go and partner with these institutions if they're really serious about it. They need to go to these high schools that are underserved and underrepresented and invest. They need to create labs. They need to create academic programs. These are all things that are doable and they need to understand what the economic benefit is for them to partner and invest in these communities. Gotcha.
1: Good points. Um, Covid nineteen has been a mixed bag, to say the least. How have you dealt with it, and how do you personally stay motivated during a time like this?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I actually don't know what today is.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Uh, okay, t- Tuesday. Tuesday's good. Okay,
0: yeah. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a psychological struggle. I think that's that's probably the the growing sentiment across, you know, all demographics. It's, it's been a psychological struggle, to say the least. Um, you know, one of the things that I've really kind of reconnected within myself is, is, is activity, is physical activity, exercising. Um, it's something that takes me away from everything that's going on around me, you know, where I can spend a half, half an hour doing a boot camp in the morning before I get started with work you know and i i look at that as it's a luxury it's a luxury for me to be in the position that i am where i can start my day um you know with relative ease put our kids onto remote learning with my wife and then start my day downstairs in the basement or up in the dining room you know versus you know, someone who has a much harder uh, outlook ahead of them where they have to go and travel and be in person um, to, you know, to their job or to their office. And, you know, they don't know if they might get laid off because their job is not generating revenue. Um, you know, it, COVID-19 has has really impacted people in many different ways. Um, I would encourage people to seek out mental health. Um, this is a long term effect, um, you know, that's happening to us psychologically, mentally. Um, you know, if people aren't aware of what those impacts might be, it's right at our fingertips. We can go and search online about, you know, COVID-19 and type in, you know, mental health, um, You know it's just taking the time to think about you know us as a country you know how divided we seem to be on you know major social topics um and kind of pull back and think about what can i do from my perspective as an individual that would impact others you know so me reconnecting with howard you know, is one way that I'm trying to do that. Me thinking about, you know, the LGBTQ community who continues to be underrepresented, um, just like us, um, you know, uh, is a big deal for me. Um, You know, I am a heterosexual, cisgender, African-American man. You know, I have certain privileges that are afforded to me. Um, not many, but I have, you know, I have a few. Um, but, you know, if I can use my power that I have to move any agenda about equality forward, then I'm going to use it. You know, I, I always look at myself, you know, uh, there's like, if you've ever seen um, uh, Key and Peel um and oh, yeah, yeah. uh and um obama's uh uh translator his uh oh his, yeah he's uh yeah his translator i kind of look at it as that you know where there is the professional side and then <laughs> there is you know the the uh illogical emotional side that you have to balance between yeah you yeah. know you know and and um I also uh look at, you know, myself and uh as, you know, um back in the eighties and I always I don't know why, but um when I think about like being a traditional like, you know, black man growing up in the city, I always picture someone in like the mid eighties with the cigarette hanging, you know, half out of the mouth and <laughs> you know, and and you think if you want to step to them you know, go right ahead, you know, (laughs) because they're going to talk with you and the the cigarette's not going to move. Yeah, Um, I kind of think of it like, (laughs) yeah, it's a skill. It's a skill, you know? Um, But, you know, I I think about all those different hats and different personalities within each of us that we have to think about and kind of balance. And, you know, I'm sure you've, you've done this throughout your career as well is, You know, the the code switching, you know, that we all have to do, you know, between our professional lives and our personal lives and how they it really does impact you. You know, Um, when you go and see your auntie and your uncle, you know, you are a different person than you are working in, you know, in your nine to five, you know, they don't care about
1: your position. I know, I know.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. And, you know, it, and we talk about being, you know, our authentic selves these days. And I just think about it being just being real, just being real with yourself and figuring out what's a good balance between yourself. Now, you know, obviously you can't tell everybody about everything in your life, but you nope. have to find that balance where you can still just be yourself at work and people can accept you for who you are. You know, whether yeah. you are, you know, heterosexual, whether you are gay, straight, lesbian, in between, you know, you are of African-American descent or, you know, East Asian descent. You know, that's one thing I think I love about this, this day and age now is that that is upfront for everybody. You know, you have to accept people for who they are. You know, a hard stop. You, yeah. you, can't, just, you can't just think that, you know, everyone is coming to work, you know, you know, with, you know, uh the the uh you know with a, you know, a pane of glass in front of them and that's all you're getting is just, you know, the window of of them. You know, I think about I think about, you know, people and how people are just so interesting, you know, and we don't know. You know, you go to work and you just see the work person. Yeah. However, they could be an artist they could be into music. They could have a whole wall of LPs, classic LPs that you wouldn't <laughs> even know about. Yeah. It's like, like uh, holy moly. Like, I didn't, I didn't know this about you. Well, <laughs> you didn't ask, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's about just being real and being honest with people, yeah. you know, yeah. that I, I really can't appreciate these days. And, you know, this, you know, with the younger generations, they are more independent, you know, they're more innocent and, less risk averse than, you know, us, you know, us as older uh, individuals are. And I really, I give kudos to that younger generation for helping to push us into this consciousness of being yourself like through and through and also holding people accountable for, for who they are. Because I mean, if you are a social activist or you are someone who, you know, might be, you know, conservative in certain ways, you know, if you are putting yourself out there, regardless of where you are in your personal life, you have to be held, uh, help, you have to be held accountable for, you know, who you are, and who you put out there into the atmosphere. So I, I really do love that about uh, the, the climate now and the generation that's helping to push that into the ether. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, for entry-level professionals in the field mm-hmm. So if they're already in the field, what tips do you have for them to kind of move towards that mid-level professional?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, um, if you are in an environment where you have the opportunity to expand your role, you know, take on different projects, get noticed you know, that is a great way for you to add value to people who might not see it. So, uh, again, I talk about, you know, my the value that I saw that I had early, early on in my career that I just didn't feel that I had. I think if you are able to, A, um, start to think about how can you add value to yourself? So whether it's, you know, signing up for different projects at your job or taking, you know, free training to, you know, increase, you know, your technical knowledge or even your, you know, your, your knowledge and governance and policy, I would say, seek those things out. It all comes with motivation. It comes with being determined, you know, also taking the time to think about what do you want to do with your career? You know, you might be, you know, a couple years into, you know, into your job, and, you know, it's going fairly well. Um, you know, if you want to excel and progress through your career, you have to have a plan. You know, that's the, that's the one thing is that, you know, you have to take some time to to think about where you want to end up. You know, it might not be that target, you know, that you had initially thought about a few years ago. It might have changed, but at least you have documented it somewhere where you can say, all right, well, um, I wanna sign up for stance training. I also wanna sign up for, um, you know, some training on, you know, insider threat, you know, and other different options. You have to have a plan about, you know, what track you wanna go down, whether you wanna be an auditor or whether you wanna be a penetration tester or you want to be you know, a cybersecurity leader, you know, and you're taking the CISO track, you have to have some type of plan down um, that you can at least leverage. So that if and when you do need to make some changes, you know where those changes need to be instead oh, of yeah. trying to write the course while you're, you know, <laughs> while you're in the midst of you know, going through some tribulations. And
1: so you build a plane while you're flying the plane? Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly
1: yeah you you make a good point that's like like you say, document it, put it into existence if yep. if you, if you do pivot, that's fine, but yeah. you know where you're starting from, and you know
0: why you want to pivot from, but if you don't have a plan, you're just right out there so right, right, exactly that's something that I learned early on, you know whether it was uh in undergrad you know and and then Going through the bumps and obstacles, you know, getting through undergrad and, and graduating, and then going into the different programs that I uh, I talked about earlier, um, I finally started to put down put things down on paper and figure out well what do I, what do I actually want to do? You know, I'm kind of just wading in the water here, um, you know, in a boat without a paddle, but I actually need to figure out you know where do I want to go with my career because you know I'm I was still a young adult at that point. Um, but I, I just didn't have the um the foresight, you know, to think about ten, fifteen years from now, you know, what I wanted to do. Oh yeah. Um let's let's get into uh
1: I know notice you have the uh C C yeah. certification and the SISM. What's your favorite cert out of those two and why? Uh
0: so I got the I got the 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 CISO certification just this past year. Um, and I've had the CIS STEM, for, I think, for a little over three years now, um, and I actually started with the Security Plus, God, uh, God back in like 2007, 2008, um, and again, you know, part of my thought was, all right, getting some certifications in addition to the experience and, you know, the formal education, it all would help to build this foundation for you so that if you want to go and apply for this job, you have the experience, you have the certification, you have the formal training. So you're meeting different criteria that will, you know, potentially put you above the rest of the applicants, you know, for that next position. Um, You know, the CISO, uh, the CISO certification was something that I felt that I needed for my current position because I meet with so many senior leadership representatives, you know, from the C suite, uh, that I felt that this CISO certification would help to bring me, you know, and help to supplant me more in my career as a as a senior leader within cybersecurity within CISA. Um, so again, it's it's providing that foundation for me to to leverage so that if and when you know I'm called upon you know by by my senior leadership, you know they know that you know a, I have the certification, I have the experience, I've had the formal training to represent the agency as well as step into these conversations and know what I'm talking about so Um, You know, the certifications, I think, help to reinforce, you know, what you've learned, whether it's on the job or you're going through some professional development as well. Because I think with, you know, a lot of the training opportunities right now, you know, it's looking at, you know, specific things, whether you want to be, you know, a, you know, a CISA, you know, a, a certified information systems auditor, or you want to go be an analyst where, you know, they have the uh, security plus and the, and the cybersecurity analyst uh, certifications or doing Cisco, you know, or uh, other, or other uh, certifications. I think those are all great, but I think at some point you need to have that demonstrated experience on top of the certifications that will put you above the rest you know, uh, you know, within, you know, if you're, if you're looking for new opportunities.
1: Okay. Um, Ron Blackside, the Cyber stage is yours right now. So if people want to know more about Ron Ford, where can they go online?
0: Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, fairly active on LinkedIn. Um, if you go in and look, uh, search out Ron Ford on LinkedIn and you put in, uh, Ron Ford and, and CISA, I should pop up there. Um, I do have a Twitter. Um, I'm not too uh too active on Twitter, but my username is Cyber New England. It's all one word. Uh, I think I have probably about forty followers <laughs> right now, <laughs> so I'm trying to increase those numbers. Um, but. Uh, most most of my time is spent on LinkedIn. Um, that seems to be the the best f- forum for me to interact with people, and I get a lot of hits on LinkedIn uh, from from people who are interested in cybersecurity and connecting them with other people as well.
1: Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Hey Ron, thank you for
1: stopping by the Black Cyber Podcast today. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, man,
0: you over delivered. Definitely drop some <laughs> knowledge on us. I greatly appreciate it, George. Thank you so much for having this podcast and and giving uh, us the space to talk about uh, different topics.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Um, If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type Black Cyber, Black is spelled B-O-A-K, to check out our podcast and other content. Thank you. You've been listening to the Black Cyber Podcast, hosted by George McPherson, securing our place in the industry. Be sure to subscribe to Black Cyber on YouTube, and also subscribe to our podcast on all the major podcast networks like Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and many more.